Acts chapter 4, the first seven verses, the title of the message, Social Disruption. And this is about the arrest of Peter and John. And in a sense, um, maybe a, a good applicable subtitle to this would be Standing Against the Slow Slide to Conformity. And you'll understand what that means uh, through the course of this message. We have been talking about this lame beggar that was healed, and he was lame from birth. Peter and John uh, seize him by the hand, raise him up, and he's leaping and praising God, and everyone is just like, man, what just happened? And the aftermath of this healing is our passage today. Verse 1. And as they were speaking to the people, the priests and the captain of the temple guard and the Sadducees came upon them, that being Peter and John, being greatly disturbed. And again, think about that that adverb, greatly. It's not just I was like ruffled by that. I was greatly disturbed, these people were, right? Being greatly disturbed because they were teaching the people and proclaiming in Jesus the resurrection from the dead. And they laid hands on them and put them in jail until the next day, for it was already evening. But many of those who had heard the message, remember Peter had just finished this second message, had believed, and the number of the men came to be about five thousand. Yes, you heard that right, five thousand. And it came about on the next day that the rulers and elders and scribes were gathered together in Jerusalem. And Annas, the high priest, was there, and Caiaphas, and John, and Alexander, and all who were of high priestly descent. And when they had placed them in the center, they began to inquire, by what power or in what name have you done this? We'll stop the reading right there. This... (laughs) Occurrence in our, in our passage today, if you couple it with the previous chapters that we have read, after two public addresses by the Apostle Peter, first one after Pentecost, second one in our last chapter, and we see what happened as a result of that in our passage today in chapter 4, after two public addresses, 8,000 people were saved. That is significant. Two sermons and 8,000 people are now in, in heaven, in the kingdom of God. That is a phenomenal occurrence. And we're talking about people were listening. People had their eyes glued on what was happening and something was happening in their hearts. They were being stirred to respond to a message. And some of it was somewhat chiding or rebuking. He was telling them that you are the guys that actually crucified Jesus. And there could have been a sense of resentment there, of being pointed out. And through these messages, 8,000 people come into the kingdom of God. This is a phenomenal occurrence. And what is clear from the first chapters, the early chapters of Acts, is that the Christian leaders of the early church, they didn't blend in. They, they stood out. If, if you saw them walking down the street, there was something about them that stirred a crowd. That they would become the focal point of a growing circle of people. And Jesus was like that. When we read the Gospels, we saw that all too often that Jesus would be going from one city to the next. And where he went, the people in the city where he was going had already heard that he was coming. And so wherever he went, he was like the the epicenter of this growing, growing ripple effect, and people were gathering. 
And the disciples, after the ascension of Christ, we see it beginning to happen in the same way. That the confidence, the boldness, and the faith that they had, and how they spoke and what they did, it created, in a sense, a ruckus. And I don't mean that in a negative way. That they stirred something in the general community, and people's ears were turned. And their eyes were watching. Because of their faith, the faith of, in our instance, in our passage, Peter and John, immediately what happened was some sort of a reaction. And I mean a reaction in a neutral sense, first of all. Right? So because of their faith in Jesus and how they lived out that faith, wherever they went, there was some sort of a reaction, whether positive or negative, good or bad. Now, the positive in our passage is that 5,000 people responded, right? 3,000 in an earlier passage. That's a positive response. The negative response is that they were jailed, right? They were arrested, and they were placed in the center of these well-cloaked, highly religious officials being questioned for their actions. That's a response as well. And so wherever they went, people were responding in a positive light or a negative way, but they were eliciting a response. Where they went, it was never really neutral. Right, And so it wasn't really that they were flying under the radar in stealth mode. That you knew what they believed. You knew who they followed. You knew what they stood for. That is a significant thing in the early Christian life. And does that identify us as a believer? Standing for something that what we speak is clear, that people know why we are living, what we truly value in life, that they know our allegiance to Christ, that they know that our worship to Him is preeminent. Is that clear in how we live? Because it sure was in the book of Acts to these early disciples. Now, I am uh, an Asian American, okay? And as an Asian American, there's an Asian side of me and there's like this Western side of me. Now, I was born in Canada, so I'm very, very much, I call myself North, North, like, you know, North American. It's just the easier term to use, Canada and the U.S., right? And so growing up in the West, you, you find that there's this, this, this focus on the individual that we, we really prize youth. We want to stay young and we really uh, lift them up in society. They're on the covers of, of everything, right? And as an individualistic society, we really honor and we champion the one who stands against, that swims against the stream somehow, right? And coming from maybe an Eastern or an Asian mindset, there's a slight difference there. It's more communal. Elders are a little bit more valued. And kind of falling in line is seeming to be the, the more dominant picture that you see. And to give you two words, maybe it's conforming versus non-conforming. To be a conformist or a non-conformist. Do I stand out and stand up for what I believe or do I just kind of sink in? Do I, do I blend in and, and, and follow the shade of what's going on like this chameleon, right? And as I was thinking about this, there was this proverb, that's a Japanese proverb that, that came to mind. The nail that sticks out gets hammered, right? Have you ever heard that, right? I, if you think about it, we live with this subliminal mantra in our daily lives, don't we, right? 
that if you go about your, your regular day at work or your week or wherever you are in society, it seems as though if I'm dressed differently, everybody's looking. It seems as though if I act differently, somehow I'm pointed out. And the, the nail that sticks out is the one that gets hammered in. And so this is a way of somewhat telling people that it's a little bit more comfortable to conform. It's a little bit more comfortable to fall in line and not stick out. And I think the older we get, this becomes our comfort zone. I mean, if you think about it as a child, right? Children, when you give them a piece of paper and a crayon, they start drawing crazy stuff. They really don't follow the lines at all. And as they get older, they're taught to to stay within the lines, that trees are always green and, and and the trunk is always brown, that the sun is always yellow, and that people are of this particular proportion. And as we get older in age, we tend to fall in line with how everybody else is drawing those particular items. And as we get older, we begin then to judge, wait, that's, that's wrong. And so this, this slide into conformatism, of conforming to those that are around us, of looking like the people that we roll with, that we are around, becomes really our everyday activity. Live in a country that dresses a certain way for a certain while, you will start to buy those clothes. You will start to talk like the people that are around you. Value and go to the social things of your particular community, of your group. And standing out from that is really difficult. I don't know if you've ever seen this. I didn't want to necessarily show you the video because it was a little bit longer. There was a social experiment there was a lobby, a receptionist area, and a bunch of people were seated in what looked to be more than a dozen chairs. And there was a couple of open ones, and every single one of these were already informed. They were like actors, right? And in this lobby reception area, there would be a beep, and at the beep, everyone would just stand up and then sit back down, as if nothing else happened. And a person who's not a part of this, who's in a sense being watched, camera like videoed and experimented on, right? This person walks in and hears the beep. Everyone stands up like still having a magazine and then they go back down and it's like just still sitting, right? Like what's going on? And then after a certain amount of time, beep, and everyone gets up again. And, he, and this person is kind of like half, right? And by by the the midway point of this experiment, soon this person is standing up at the beep, not knowing why people are standing. Just begins to stand at the beep because everybody else is doing it. And during the course of this experiment, the people that were already seated, that were a part of this social experiment, were leaving as their quote-unquote appointments were being held or, or met. And so they would leave the room and soon this would be the only person left, the one that was not coached, did not know why, and it was the only person left in the lobby and the beep would go, guess what happened? The person would stand up. And then a new person would come in. Beep, this person would stand up and then tell the other person, you need to stand up. I don't know why, but you need to stand up. That is a fascinating look into the psychology of people. That we begin to do the very things that other people are doing, even though we might not know why we are doing them, or if we think they're important or not. The desire to fit in and to look like and just to kind of cruise along is so strong in the human heart. 
And faith is something that disrupts that. That a faith in Jesus, a belief in who he is, in the message that he spoke, is not about that. It is not about blending in. And there is a sense of disruption that happens in our lives when faith invades our hearts. When, when Jesus comes in and the Holy Spirit sets up camp inside of us, there is something that says, I can no longer live as I did before. Something must change. And then when we begin to live that faith out in our lives in public, then it begins to disrupt when we feel convicted to share a message or to stand for a value, to speak the gospel, to love on a person that no one else is loving on, we begin to, to stand against and swim against the stream. And the Christian life has a lot to do with standing out, of not conforming, but being a child of God, a royal priesthood, called and chosen for His work. Now to stand out, in a sense, there can be somewhat of a, a, a negative connotation to that, like, you know, just trying to stand out for the sake of standing out. And that's definitely not what I'm speaking of. To, to call unnecessary attention to oneself wherever I go. I mean, you've all seen people that do that, right? And it's not very comfortable to be around such people all the time. And that's not what I'm talking about of standing out, of being the loudest person in the room or in the office or of the gathering, of always having to talk and to share and to share why your point of view is the right point of view and to just be that one that just sticks out all the time. That's not what I'm talking about when I say stand out. But when we as a Christian, as a person and follower of Christ, believe in Jesus and try to live out the message, this will automatically cause us to stand out. To have love as our motivation, grace as our underlying foundation, integrity as our guiding light, we will stand out. When you choose to believe in Jesus, live for heaven, and say, I want to help you to get there, we will stand out. Just by believing in Jesus and wanting to live out the values and the message that He spoke will cause us to do so that we will stand out. And if we do, we will, we will and should expect two reactions. Affirmation and rejection. Affirmation and rejection. Usually never neutral, right? And it will be one of the two. And it's kind of like what we see in our passage here. When Peter and John, like everyone else, was passing by that lame guy, right? We all saw him. He was by that beautiful gate. And he's been there every single day. And everyone was just passing by, going on their business. I'm just going to go to the temple to pray. But that day, Peter and John tends to disrupt the flow there. And he goes over to the man, speaks to him and says, I, I don't have money, but I give you healing and freedom, seizing him by the hand, which no one else did probably, raising him up, strengthening his feet and his ankles, then him leaping for joy. That was a sense of disruption of the day that mid-afternoon. And that response of 5,000 people because of a healing of this lame man. I mean, we're talking about a significant response here. Or of being thrown in jail, being accused, being belittled, talked down to. That's a very negative response. And when we stand out in our faith for Jesus, we should expect those two responses. If we always want to be the liked, neutral person in the room, is that 
contrary to the values and message of Jesus. I want to give you two ideas. How do we balance being a faithful witness with also having a tasteful approach? Right? Because I think we need to do both. I mean, we can hold up the picket sign on the corner and say you're going to hell if you don't repent. That's not very tasteful, though. Right? You can be the loudest voice at the holiday party, but that's not very tasteful. But how do you be faithful in your witness to live out your faith? But how do you make that also tasteful so that people are enticed by it? And I think of, I think of this. I think of salt, right? Scripture talks about salt, that we are the salt of the earth. Now, salt changes what it comes in contact with, the food that it does, right? Yes, it does. It, it preserves and it causes thirst. But when you think about salt, now, this salt threshold, right? I don't know. How, how many of you like salty food? Yeah, man, you can show me. All right, okay. How many of you like more bland food? All right, yeah. I'm a little bit kind of on the blander side of, uh, of things. Yeah, it's more healthy for you, okay? <laughs> But if you think about salt, that we need to, if you, if you don't have any of it, it's, it's no good. But when you start to add salt to food and you're faithful in its addition, you also have to be mindful of how much you add. Because there is this threshold, right? As soon as you cross that threshold, you're like, give me water, right? It's, it doesn't taste good anymore. So when you cross the threshold, you begin to accomplish the opposite intent of what it was designed for if you cross the threshold and so to be tasteful is also to understand my environment of course and and not just to be this obnoxious loudmouth they're calling attention to yourself but we must be faithful in our witness yet making sure that our saltiness is tasteful is tasteful And I hope that this ideal would carry with you into this next year. That how can I be faithful in my Christian life and how can I be tasteful in my approach? I hope that will inform how you act in the workplace, how you are with family, and how you go about your daily lives. Being faithful in your witness, being tasteful in your approach. Next week, we're going to talk about Peter and John's response to this group that had placed them in the center. And as their fingers were being pointed, um, there is a great Christian message, uh, Christmas message in there as well. And we're going to talk about that next week. But the two ideas that I, I, I want to leave with you today is, is really that. That if God has called me to be salt, and the Bible says that if salt has lost its saltiness, it's useless. You should just discard it. And so, is there flavor in my life, in the words that I speak? Is there a sense that I cause things to have life and be preserved? Am I creating thirst in individuals? Am I giving taste and flavor and color to my work environment? Or... Have I followed that mantra of just don't stick out or you're going to get hammered? So how can I be faithful and how can I be tasteful? And so I leave that with also two concluding thoughts as our praise team comes back. 
And what I want to leave you with is this, is number one, decide in this next year to live out your faith in Jesus in public. In public, right? And again, not to call unnecessary negative attention to yourself, but to do so in a way that is public, that people know what you live for, what you stand for, that the words that you speak are clear, that are based on your Christian faith. And secondly, in this next year, would you decide to make at least one disciple for Jesus? Now, you look at back at 2016, right? Now, if we are a Christian, God has called us, yes, to love the Lord with everything and to love our neighbor as ourselves, but there is a commission over our lives to make disciples. And as I look back at this last year, have I made one disciple for Jesus? Have I not just shared just a, a, a Christian message to somebody, but have I come along somebody to help them into the faith and grow in that faith to disciple somebody? This takes time and effort. Prayer and sacrifice. And as we go into the new year, I mean, you might have a bold thing to say, I'm going to make uh, a dozen or a hundred, and maybe you want to be like Peter, and 5,000 people will be added to the church from one particular message. Maybe such an anointing will be over your life. But would you start at least from here? Would you start by saying, I want to make one disciple. I'm going to identify one person around me in a certain sphere or circle that God has placed on my heart. I'm going to consistently pray for them first. And after praying for them, I'm going to reach out. I want to share with them love. And I want to share life with them. And I want to disciple that person. Would you make that prayerful decision as you move and march quickly into the new year that's in front of us? I pray that would be our response. Amen.